You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. My guest this week is best known for his Tony Award-winning role as Dad in the hit musical Billy Elliot. Greg Jabara has starred in Damn Yankees, Victor Victoria, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Chicago, and many more. A familiar face in film and on television, he's currently filming his 12th season in his role as Garrett Moore on the hit CBS police drama, Blue Bloods. A passionate advocate for a number of causes, Greg has spent the pandemic raising funds for amazing organizations like the Actors Fund, Broadway Cares, Say, Charleston Playhouse, The Blank Theater, The Great Cycle Challenge, just to name a few. I'm so thrilled to have him here today. Greg, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Hi, Jan. It's nice to see you on a Zoom anyway, and not, I know, in, it's good not to on see Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you've been in so many films and TV shows, not to mention all the theater you've done, and most people would recognize your face. But I would love for our listeners to get to know you, the person, a little better. So do you mind if I ask you a few sort of rapid fire personal questions? I'm ready. Okay, let's do this. Um, if you had to choose three adjectives to describe yourself, what would you say? Oh my goodness. A Libra, for sure. Even balanced. Three adjectives. Um, um, wow. Uh, um, a listener, that's not an adjective. And um, and non-judgmental, is that an adjective? It works. It works for me. What do you most give a damn about? Probably that my um, wife feels successful and that my two sons have the tools to also be successful in life. I think that's the most important thing. What dream have you yet to achieve? <laughs> I kind of checked all the boxes. Uh, I, 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 I gratefully feel incredibly validated both professionally and personally. I don't, I don't have any wants like that. Uh, I, I, I'm grateful for the, all the things as they come, but um, 
I'm pretty happy. That is so nice. Not everybody says that. Um, <laughs> speaking of gratitude, I was going to ask you, what are you most grateful for today? Uh, well, that, that we get to do this, Yay. you know, that, that, um, cause it's, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily, uh, that I feel I have something to offer as much as uh, I know that I'll come away from this, um, probably enlightened and, and, um, motivated, uh, personally. So, uh, th this is a, a great gift to, to do something like this with you. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. And we're looking forward to being motivated by you because you are so inspirational, um, so let's talk about some things here. I want to start off, obviously this is a Broadway related podcast. So, um, I would be remiss if I didn't start off talking about your stage career. Um, damn Yankees, Victor Victoria, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Chicago, and of course, Billy Elliot for, you know, you won the Tony award in, in 2009. And I wondered that role of dad, um, what did that mean to you during the run of the show? And what does that role continue to mean for you in your career? Um, it, interesting because when I first saw the movie, I identified with Billy, with the role of Billy Elliot, the, the, the son, as an artist in a working class environment. That that that's how the film um, affected me. And then when it came time to actually pursue the job, and uh, and I had to pursue the job because they weren't interested in me for the role. Curiously. Um, I really identified with the dad having uh, been a little further along as a parent myself and appreciating all that my own father uh, went through. So um, it really was a, it was a, it was a tribute to my father uh, in terms of uh, understanding and honoring many of the struggles that he went through. I think with all of the siblings in, in my family because uh, we all chose professions that were um, outside of the the working class realm that he knew and uh, and also we had uh, lifestyle choices uh, that um, also challenged him so it, it was really an homage to my dad and, and the best the best thing was several cousins who came and saw the show would always go wow those are our dads you mm -hmm. you you put our dads up on stage and it was like and, and, and that, that gave me great joy. You know, in, in the theater, that role was such an iconic role for you. Um, and a lot of people kind of get stuck in one specific role, but not you. You've managed to sort of, you know, do so many types of roles and so many, and so many genres and, and so many mediums, you know, like film, television, um, and theater. So, um, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I always relate to you. Like the first thing, if somebody says your name, I think of that role, but then there's so much more to it, which kind of leads to um, Blue Bloods. Um, now I have to confess, I'm not a big crime police drama watcher, but my um, Glenn's father is. So we've been watching a lot of Blue Bloods. Oh, thank Glenn's, Glenn's dad for me, please, for my <laughs> job security. Loves that show. Um, <laughs> That's great. So you're in the middle of filming season 12 and congrats. Um, Thank you. I understand that um, you've become an, kind of an unintentional law enforcement advocate, and you're an honorary FBI LIDA member as a result of your work on the show. What does that actually mean? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really good question. Uh, because before this job, I wouldn't have known myself. Uh, you know, uh, my 
I grew up, my father was an insurance claims adjuster. So, and he represented a lot of the law enforcement departments in the state of Michigan for, you know, insurance purposes. And the one thing my dad taught me was the respect for law enforcement. And, and, and it wasn't because um, we, gratefully, my family, we didn't have run-ins with the law, but it, my dad knew uh, the power they had and the necessity for what they did. So I always had a respect for law enforcement, but it was never like, you know, in the forefront of my consciousness and my daily life. It was just like, I mean, like any little kid, you'd see, you know, a police officer with a gun on his hip and you'd think, wow, that's, that's a real gun. That's really cool. That's crazy. That's, that's a police officer. We, we, that's really cool. But it wasn't a part of my life. Then I get in this TV show and you find out that there's a whole, the whole fraternity of law enforcement, uh, of men and women, I should say, that they really appreciated the show because it shown, it, it showed a, a light on the, the, the genuine hardships of what it is to be in law enforcement. And then once I was in the show and then I, I started hearing from the fans who are law enforcement officers, and then I became aware of how difficult a job that is. And especially in the last 12 years, just that I've been aware, if an officer is out to dinner or at a social gathering and they're not in uniform and you ask them what they do for a living, they're reticent to say what it is because they're afraid of the judgment that mm. may come. And that shouldn't be the case. Um, yes, there are there are law enforcement officers that have gone astray and who have broken the law and who shouldn't be um, in the position that they are. Uh, but but we we need cops and and I didn't I never knew that I, I was never aware of how vital they were in terms of just so that we could all do the things that we we know that we appreciate and love and uh, in our world uh, and and yet it, how how difficult a job that is so. Um, because of the show, I, I became a member. Well, I started, I got an invite to attend the FBI LEDA. FBI L-E-E-D-A is the um, education arm of the FBI. And what they do is they, they teach the upper levels of law enforcement all around the world all the things that they've learned about law enforcement and share all their knowledge to help, to help uh, better law enforcement. And they do a national convention, and I was asked one year to attend just to be a just to be a face because they love the show, mm. and it would be great to go in glad hand and press flesh. And I went, yeah, I'll do that because I started to understand how hard it was for law enforcement to keep their morale up because it was really, it, it has become incredibly difficult for law enforcement. So. I went and then after I, I, and I started going every year because it meant so much to them. And I was grateful to remind those who are really good cops, how vital they are and how much they're needed so that they don't give up. Uh, and, and, and that's, that was the role um, that I enjoyed taking on, which was to be an advocate for law enforcement, to encourage those who do good, to continue doing good and not saying, wow, People don't get it. There's a lot of hate, and um, and and my life's at risk, and I, I want to go home to my wife and kids. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to stop being a cop. And it's like that's that's a terrifying concept for the good cops to me. And and so my my energies are just 
to remind those who really are vital to please uh, stay the course. And particularly in the last 18 months, this has been a really important topic of discussion. So, Oh, it, 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 well, the, the, the thing is, as I, as I started learning the history of law enforcement, it's a, actually a never-ending struggle uh, for, for police officers. There's always some faction of society that is, is not uh, a fan, and they're outspoken, and they're dangerous. And thank, thank God that the, 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 the cops that are still there want to still do their job because we need them. They're doing something I don't have the courage to do. We need them, and um, we need the good ones. So I'll do whatever I can to help them, to, to help remind them how vital they are. And that's a perfect example of why we needed you on this podcast, because you take your art and you make your art meaningful um, in a way that, you know, resonates with society. So thank you for yeah. that. You also, you said that you, um, you had to manage your survivor's guilt with, with Viacom CBS, trying to figure out a way for Blue Bloods to resume production when Broadway couldn't. And that you had to kind of reconcile this in your head that you were a working actor when so many people on the Broadway stages were not at that time in the past, you know, 18 months. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I, you know, I get to commute. I live in LA. We shoot the show in New York and it was, I had just flown back home and we were planning my transportation to return for the next episode. And then an email came out to everybody that just said, we're done. And at first it was, hey, we're, you know, we're going to work this out. We expect to be back as soon as we, you know, work out the kinks. And that was like, every, we're getting an email like once a week. Then it was once a month from, you know, production. And then it, and then it wasn't happening. And, and it was like, oh, okay. And, and we all sort in, in the universe kind of went, we're shut down. But when Viacom CBS and our actors union and the, you know, that all of the health departments in the country figured out what it would take so that we could go back to work. And we did. Um, although it was literally like working in a, uh, you know, an infectious disease laboratory. What, what went away was the socialization of the work, but, but I was back to work. It was very different, but I had a job and I came back to New York city in October of last year and I walked through Times Square as the sun was going down on a Friday. And for the first time in my life, I felt unsafe because everything was closed. And I, when I moved to New York in 1982, walking through Times Square was a dicey proposition. Mm -hmm. And for a Michigander with wide eyes, it was kind of thrilling. <laughs> you, you're a little reckless perhaps, but you know, but I, I hadn't felt that um, unsafe since 1982. And and realized not just the Broadway community, but New York City as a whole had its knees, you know, legs taken out from under it. And, and it broke my heart. The institutions that closed, the restaurants that were gone, um, every hotel, every theater was dark. And yet I had a job. And because of social networking, I was aware of all my friends and colleagues who were most many had to leave New York City, move out of New York and go back to their hometowns to stay with mom and dad and or because New York City was, you know, untenable. You couldn't, if without a job, you can't afford to be here. And here I was working, um, albeit I did uh, since for the first time since Billy Elliot, uh, I had to live here full time. I was not allowed to commute, um, but I was grateful for that. 
I, you know, I was away from my wife and kids, but I had a job hmm. and, and yet, um, the majority of, the, of my friends from my stage career since 1986, they were no, nobody had a, had a gig. The, the only upside was of course, that all the guest stars who were no, who usually weren't available because they were doing Broadway shows mm-hmm. were suddenly guesting on, on all our episodes. It was like, Oh man, we get all this great talent on the show. But, and they were grateful, you know, for the gig. But each time a, a phenomenal stage artist was on our show, I would go, we would love to just have you all stay, keep, let's just employ everybody. But we didn't even have, um, we went from shooting scenes in the commissioner's office uh, on a soundstage with three cameras and three crew members per camera to shooting with two robotic cameras. Mm. And we were four actors, like if it's if it's Abby, Bob, Tom, and me in that office, there's only one other person in, in that entire room last season. And that was the f- poor, unfortunate boom mic operator who was in a hazmat outfit. He was like sweating because he had 10 layers of, you know, anti-contagion clothing. And he's, you know, holding the thing, the boom mic and everybody else. And, and there was no other human being. And we never saw another human being either. It was strange. I wish we could keep hiring all those more of the Broadway actors on our show because uh, I, I felt guilty that I had a gig and 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 they didn't. I mean, we've been through such strange times, but now Broadway's open again and hopefully things will be safe and we'll learn to be flexible flyers and pivot when we need to and make it work. Um, but speaking I of- I think it's doable. Yeah, I do too. I think that everybody just has to adjust their, you know, their business models a little bit. Yeah. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Speaking of the pandemic, you said that you accidentally became the COVID virtual face for the Emergency Medicine Foundation fundraising. Um, and I think you said, you, you didn't you co-produce their gala? Um, yeah. What do you mean by accidentally? <laughs> there, there was a musical that was about to go into workshop, and there, the the writers of this show, whose workshop was canceled because of COVID, they had an an anthemic, you know, ballad that they thought would be great to support the frontline workers in the hospitals, you know, medical people, and so they decided let's do a music video and do it just as a uh, we'll do it as a fundraiser to raise money for EMF and ASAP. Um, Steven D'Angelo was doing the casting on that. And he reached out to, you know, all of his singing actor friends and said, Hey, do you want to do this video? And I said, yeah, I'm in, I got, I'm, I'm doing nothing. This is before the show came back. 
and and I, you know, we they got about I don't know thirty or forty actors to all home record, home video record, home audio record, and they built this, you know, uh, this video that was wonderful. And then and then they said, um, "We're curious. Will you reach out to Greg Chaparro and find out if he'd be interested in helping us with? Uh, we're, we're thinking of doing a virtual um, auction this year instead of our in person." I said, yeah, I can do this. Uh, of course, I need something to focus on because I wasn't a working actor. I was, and we didn't know when we were coming back. Blue Bloods was still closed. And then it was successful. They, they, they raised a lot of money. And then they said, we want to do a, we want to do a, a virtual gala for the, for all the big donors who gave a lot of money. And I said, I'm in, I'll do it. You bet. And I, I, I drafted about 20 different, you know, sound bites of just, just a little something, pick one you like. You don't have to be, you can not be wearing pants like me right now. And <laughs> and you, all you got to do, you don't have to even be bathed. We just want you to say, hey, thank you, you know, for, for doing what you do for EMF and, and ASAP. And, you know, everybody's at home, unbathed, unshaven, miserable, <laughs> feeling I- insignificant. And they were, everybody was so happy to contribute. So I, I ended up getting all these amazing little, just quick little video clips that they were able to build an entire evening out of. And, and, and they thought I was like, you know, the, the greatest things in sliced bread. And all it was, was me just, just asking everybody stepped up and it was, and they ended up um, having a, a lovely event and, and we did it for all the, you know, all the, the nurses and doctors that have been working so hard since you said it was March of 2020. I feel like it was longer. It feels so much longer. Yeah. It feels longer, but it also feels like it was just yesterday too. In my head, it's kind of like this weird split screen. But um, agree. But you know, you and I have worked together on some um, in-person auctions when uh, for Charity Buzz at the Charity Network, where I work on my day job. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned in the intro, you have been a passionate advocate for a lot of different organizations. And I just wondered, um, you know, some of them obviously make sense because they're connected to Blue Bloods, and you know, you feel passionate about those. But you know. Are there certain organizations that you feel like um, these are really important to me and or certain causes that are important to you? And um, and why do you support those? Until something, you know, is in front of me, I go, I'm not real. I'm not like seeking out. When I first moved to Los Angeles, the the blank theater company, it was like this was a theater that actually kept my soul alive when I was first struggling and starting in 98 in Los Angeles, trying to make enough money to feed my family. I know I have financial resources that I can help keep that theater alive because they really kept my soul alive when it went during a hardship and, uh, and I, and, and genuine hardship when there was literally very little money coming in and not a lot of TV and film jobs. And, but I was doing so, probably some of the most gratifying work still on stage, but in Los Angeles. So I, I, I said, yes, I'm an advocate for you. I'm, you're important. You saved my life. Please let me be there. But there's there are organizations like like Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. When I, I got introduced to this community that was doing great things and felt wonderfully validated and and was raising money to help, you know, uh, a, a, a debilitating disease that was you know de- that you know decimated the the entertainment industry, especially in the in the eighties. Uh, but like that was because of the theater community. And I, I actually always say that the Broadway community, I just took it for granted that, you know, every, you just a hundred posters would show up backstage and everybody would just, with a, with 30 Sharpies and you didn't think twice. Everybody just went 
and you, you took whatever spare time you you went and you signed them all. Mm-hmm. And then if you had to be out in front holding a red bucket, you just did it. And moving from the theater community to the to this TV world, it wasn't. It's not the. It they weren't used to. It's that not story. the same. Yeah. It's not the same. And there's so much. Uh, uh, red tape and like insurance concerns and, you know, people that aren't supposed to be. Any- so I went from, and, and the doorman, especially at the Imperial, cause that was my last two jobs, dirty rotten scoundrels and Billy Elliot. They, they knew they were going to be staying late every night because Jabara was going to have somebody backstage. Some he's going to take some unsuspecting family or friends of his and show them, you know, or it was going to be somebody who donated a, ridiculous amount of money to Broadway cares. And I said, I will happily give them the backstage tour that that's the least I can do. And, and it, you realize that, Oh, there are actually a lot of other people that ended up supporting me doing that. But then, you know, the doorman ended up getting some really spectacular bottles of bourbon mm. uh, in thanks, uh, which is a small price to pay for me for, for in order to, but, but when we went to, when, once we got to, uh, TV land. And then like, I just started doing it on my own. And then uh, like the higher ups, you know, executive producers, production coordinators are going, you know, you you probably, if you're going to do that, you kind of just do it on your own. Don't tell me because we really can't legally, you know, for insurance purposes, we really can't be doing these things. So I didn't realize how wonderful it was to be able to be in eight shows a week so that you could do good outside of your job um, in, in, the, in the world of charity and special um, experiences uh, because it's not as easy to do um, with the TV schedule and the fact that I don't live here. Uh, and, and now, especially with, you know, everything's gone away with. Uh, well, now it's pandemic. different. It's, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know, I will say I contacted you, whatever it was a couple of years ago, and we had a, a client who wanted to come to set for Blue Bloods. And you responded in like, you know, minutes and you were like, yes, what can I do? Um, and that's just the kind of guy you are. So that's why it was important for me to have you on this podcast. Oh, it, well, it was just, it was like, for me, that was just, that's what you do. You're, you're a lucky actor, you have a job and there's, and you can do, and someone asks you to do something, you go, I'm grateful. And so uh, happily, what do you want? I'm in. And, 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 and that, what's interesting is I think that's sort of a, I do think that's a, a stage actor thing, a, a New York theater community thing, not necessarily, uh, you know, industry wide, but you know, people can be taught. Right. <laughs> you know, well, let me expand. say this. First of all, not everybody says yes. Not every, not everybody answers their email or their text um, and says, yes, you did. And you do. And that's why it's really important. And it's great to have you here. But also I think, you know, you're right. I, when I decided to do this podcast, I wanted to focus on Broadway first because I do have experience in, in, you know, both Hollywood and New York. And, um, I feel the same way that Broadway is, is much the idea of philanthropy or being of service is much more integrated into the Broadway community. Not that it doesn't happen in Hollywood because it does, but in, in a different way. Um, but this idea of philanthropy or social impact or charity or cause or social responsibility, whatever you want to call it, um, you've said something like earlier in this podcast a few times, you've talked about how it was validating for you and it made you feel good. And many people who've been guests on this podcast have had the same notion and I feel the same way. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about you know, what that feeling is and and um, and why you do it. 
Um, do you come from a family of do-gooders? Um, and I know that you've got an amazing wife and, and two sons. And I wondered if you and your wife integrate this concept of doing good into your family. I, I can honestly say uh, my two boys are very different human beings. Uh, and our eldest grew up backstage on Broadway. And um, I can honestly say he observed and retained what his dad did and had to do in order just to be an actor, that there's a selflessness. There is, um, you have to make yourself socially available to the people who are, are at the stage door, even though you really want to go home. Um, uh, he, he saw that and, and, and really, uh, understood the value of kindness. Um, but, it, but I didn't grow up in a family. I, I grew up, I grew up in a big family. My, my, we were only four siblings, but my dad was the youngest of th 13 surviving siblings on the Lebanese Catholic side. And my mom was one of three sisters in a much bigger Irish Catholic side. So, you know, we weren't like, you know, bleeding heart, you know, fight for the underdog kind of, you know, political activists, my family at all. We were just taking care of ourselves, but it was also, but that meant, you know, being a, 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 a loving, caring part of community. Uh, but, but it was never, I, I really do think it was the theater community in New York that really amplified and helped me understand all, all the more that I could do. And it wasn't, mm -hmm. and it wasn't difficult. It was just like, this is what we do. Get on board. And it was like, yeah, man, this is great. Uh, we wondered if you were asked advice on how to practice doing good or um, creating a better world. What would you say to some of your fans? I don't. I don't walk around with blinders on. I don't. I don't walk through the streets with earbuds in. Uh, I look up at the architecture, um, but it's not. That's not always when I'm in the city. Uh, I ride my bike through Los Angeles and. I like to go by myself as opposed to with people because I take everything in, but you see opportunities to help. You know, there's simple things like a, a pylon that's in the street that could be problematic because it fell off of a truck or, and you just go, Oh, I can move that. Or someone's in, or, or a, a, a homeless person needs help pushing their, their big old shopping cart full of possessions uh, up a ramp and you get off your bike and go here i'll help you out mm -hmm. uh, uh the, it's just sort of a thing i do it, it just sort of i think it's 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 just always been what i do but i don't think everybody does that i think you know our our world is kind of like you know um it's becoming a little more myopic is that the right word and and audibly visually and there's really great benefit in just opening your ears and eyes and, and just looking at the world and going, Oh, I could help them. And uh, without any cost to you, you know, um, I think that's all my thing is. And I think that could be re uh, investigated for by, by many. I think those are really great words of wisdom and, and advice. And I think the idea of small random acts of kindness and just opening yourself up. Right. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's nice. All of your successes, they're so well-deserved and you're such a great person and a great human being. And I really appreciate you being on this podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, including me, Jan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadway Gives Back podcast. 
Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, editor, and friend, Jim Lochner. And thank you to everyone at BPN, including Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris. I'd also like to thank Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency and Eric Becker from Broderick Street Music. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.